Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The Messiah is at the well. I found the Messiah and he's told me everything about me. And the whole village came out to meet Jesus. And they're like, well, we believed her, but now we really believe you because we see you and we're hearing from you. And, and a revival took place. Another underdog, another woman, Samaritan lady, overlooked by society. And God's like, you're perfect. I'll use you. God loves to use underdogs to accomplish his will. As we look at the story of Joshua in today's message and his example of faith and the ways that God worked in him, we'll be reminded of this truth. God doesn't look around for people who are performing well on their own and accomplishing great things through ingenuity or hard work. As Pastor James will explain, the primary trait that God looks for in his followers is humility and faith that allow him to do the work through them. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Hebrews 11 is where we'll be. We went through the book of Genesis, so to speak. We had Enoch and, uh, and, and Abel was there, Noah, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joshua, or not Joshua, Joseph. And then we went into the book of Exodus, which is basically just Moses and the children of Israel a little bit. Well, Moses' parents, then Moses, then the children of Israel. And then now these two verses we're going to cover tonight are going to be the book of Joshua, okay? The book of Joshua in two verses, really, um, is kind of how this works out. Not technically the whole book, but you'll see what I, what I mean when we look at this. Uh, so look with me at verse 30. It's just 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And verse 31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then that's it. And that's, you're like, that's Joshua. That's like the first six chapters of Joshua. Uh, lots more happened after that. But as far as the hall of faith is concerned, um, that's where the Holy Spirit wants to focus in on is uh, the, the walls of Jericho coming down and a prostitute named Rahab. And I kind of like that. That's kind of cool. Um, if I'm honest, it's like, wait, how does she end up in this list? Because she's pretty awesome. That's how. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go back into the book of Joshua. So with, with this, I want you to turn back into chapter, Joshua chapter 2. It's all the way back. You got your first five books, the Pentateuch. Then you got Joshua. And just so you understand this, um, Joshua was the guy who took over for Moses. You probably know that already, but Moses died and Joshua was raised up as the next leader. He was one of the original 12 spies. It was him and Caleb who came back and were like, let's go for it. God's given us this land. And the others, the 10 spies were like, yeah, but there's giants. And so the, the whole crowd went with them instead of with Joshua and Caleb. And so 
Joshua and Caleb, they endured as the, you know, genera- lots of people, generation of people ended up passing away, wandering through the wilderness because they didn't have faith in God. Comes time for Moses, his time to end, and the baton has been passed to Joshua. In Joshua chapter one, you have God commissioning Joshua and, and speaking into his life, saying, letting him know, like, you have to be brave. You have to be brave. Uh, and obviously there was, I believe Joshua was, probably was a brave individual, but when it came to leading a nation into the promised land, he needed like an extra dose. You, don't, you can't rely on natural bravery. You need supernatural bravery. And the only way to obtain supernatural bravery, if that's even a word, um, is by being filled with the Holy Spirit and staying in the word of God, right? So you can be brave naturally, but when it comes time for spiritual things, you might be a coward, right? You might go and face like, I'll jump out of an airplane and skydive, right? Like I would do that. I love that. That's a a beautiful idea, I think. Um, Go mountain climbing. Totally do that. Surfing. To go diving with sharks. We love that stuff. Absolutely. Go tell that person about Jesus. Become a coward, right? Like, we don't need natural bravery. You need supernatural. Joshua was a brave individual, but he wouldn't be able to lead this nation off of his natural gifting, right? He needed supernatural. And so God shows up in his life and says, you, you stay, stay like right in the middle. Don't go to the, to the right. Don't go to the left. You stay centered on my word. You stay focused on me. That's how you're going to be successful, Joshua. So that was all like chapter one is just this kind of like, you know, prompting up Joshua, getting him ready for the challenge. And then chapter two happens and Joshua's going to send some spies out to go to Jericho. And so he sends them out to go spy out Jericho. Okay. Uh, and let's see here. They show up and as they go into Jericho and they're kind of cruising around, looking around the city, and it's a fortified city. It's a major, major fortified city. They're not too far outside of uh, Jerusalem, massive walls. It's impenetrable. There's just no way this ragtag bunch of individuals called the Israelites are going to even be able to compete with them militarily. So the spies go in, they end up connecting with Rahab, and we don't have any of these details of like how they connected with her, but she may have identified them as Hebrews because she already knew about God, which is fascinating about the story of Rahab. Um, Yes, she was a prostitute or uh, a harlot, um, as your Bible may say. But she had already, she knew about Yahweh. And that's the word she used. That's, that's the term she used to describe the, the God of the Israelites is Yahweh. And, and they, so somehow they get connected with the prostitute whose name is Rahab. That's at the end of verse one there um, in Joshua chapter two. Uh, and they went, into, they went into her house and verse 2, it says, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So they've been busted. Somebody spotted them as well. And like, they're spies in our city. Then the king of Jer- Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house for they, they have come to search out all the land. So obviously some individuals saw the spies. They saw them interacting with Rahab And they saw them go into Rahab's house, which is located on the wall. Okay, she doesn't live in the city. She lives on the wall, which is typically where like harlots would live and poorer people would live. Okay, so she's being watched. 
they notice these guys, they notice her. I don't know how they didn't think this was different, I guess, but there was something different about these individuals. Now, what we're going to know, what we're going to, the information we're going to be given from Rahab herself is that there is kind of a high alert going around in Jericho, all right? So I'm just trying to like put us there in the city of Jericho as you just try to envision this going on. Um, the spies are there, somehow meet up with Rahab, sure, she singles them out. But verse four, it says the woman, um, uh, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me. So this is her talking to the king or his representatives. But I did not know where they, where they were from. Probably not true. Okay. Probably not true. Or maybe it's one of those half truths where she's like, technically, I don't know where they came from. I mean, I know they're Hebrews, but I don't know where they came from. Like, that could be a half-true thing. Um, but she, she really is, I mean, she's not going to tell the truth in this story. It says, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax and, uh, that she had laid um, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to, uh, to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was uh, shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So these guys come to Rahab's house, and she's like, yeah, I let these guys in my house. But they left. They left. They took off. If you guys hurry up, you can catch up with them. That's a flat-out lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. And I, I know sometimes people like to try to, um, because we're uncomfortable with Rahab being in the Hebrews chapter 11 and with this story because she lied. And some people try to like make excuses for it and all that good stuff. Look, she, she didn't want them getting caught and she lied. And you know what? That's, um, it's okay because God put her in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not saying lying is good, but I know lying is forgivable. Okay. And so, and when lives are on the line, I'm, you might have to lie. Praise God for some brave people over in Europe when a madman was murdering Jews and people lied about them hiding out in their houses. So I really don't have an issue with Rahab lying here. I just don't. I don't. If that's a hang up for you, then when you get to heaven, you can talk to Jesus about it. Um, but he's not going to care about it either. He's like, look, um, you got hung up on that? Seriously? Um, no, she was a brave woman. Like, this is crazy. She's insane. Because she's, she's crazy too. She brought in the enemy. She brought in the enemy. I mean, and this is all of Jericho knew. The children of Israel are on their way. God is moving. He's moving. He's on his way. I mean, look at the conversation she has with these spies. Verse 8, it says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord, Yahweh, has given you the land. She knows us. She's, she is from Jericho. They're not, this is not their land. She knows this is their land. The Hebrews, this, is, this land belongs to you guys. She says, I know that he's given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. So there, there's the indicator that all of the city of Jericho was on high alert because they're hearing stories about the Israelites going through the wilderness, leaving Egypt. All the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the, wa- the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Like, so Jericho, if, I mean, you can envision this, like up here, 
Red Sea down here, Egypt's here. I mean, word traveled all the way through that deserty, desert region of the South Israel, all the way up to Jericho, about what God had did at the Red Sea. Not the Reed Sea, as some scholars would want us to believe, which is much shallower, but Rahab, who would, and these guys would know the geography better than any of us, noted it as the Red Sea, which is far deeper than the Reed Sea, regardless, um, that he had dried it up so that they could pass through it. They knew of this. They knew of this. Now, I understand that time has, when they left Egypt to when they're about to take the promised land, there's been a lot of time that has passed. So obviously plenty of time for word to circulate, but they knew that they were coming and they knew that God was with them and they're all scared. They, cause they know like, this is not our land. See, that's, that's the underlying fear here that we need to really realize is that this land belongs to them. See, the people of Jericho knew that. They knew that. And they knew that the Israelites are coming back to their land, and God is going to give them back what was rightfully theirs. So in one sense, what they understand is we've had 400 years to get right with God, and now he's about to show back up. Looks like time's almost out. We live in the same kind of scenario today. We live in the same kind of scenario today. There's a lot of fear circulating around. People don't know how to identify it, but really it's, there's, yes, evil is growing, I believe, as these days are winding down. But we also know judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And we're going to see this, this whole little story of the walls of Jerusalem, or walls of Jericho coming down is really kind of prophetic and mirrors what happens in the book of Revelation. It's very fascinating. So here's Rahab. She's talking to these, these guys, these spies. She's like, we know Yah- I know Yahweh. I know he's coming. I know judgment's coming. She's like, I know the miracles that he has done. Here's what she also includes within that story is, I know he can save me. Here's a harlot who is the underdog of all stories, right? She does not matter in any civilization, in any society, at any moment in time in history because she's a harlot. And yet she's a perfect underdog. God's going to use her. He uses her in a mighty way. We love the story of underdogs. Um, I know that because some of the most successful stories concern that of underdogs. Some of the most successful movies concern an underdog, right? Like Rocky. You guys remember Rocky? Anybody familiar with Rocky? Rocky's a great story. Even the how Rocky was made is an underdog story. You have Sylvester Stallone who writes that movie. And for him to even get that thing produced was an underdog story. Then you watch the movie and then you're, you think you're a boxer at the end of it. And you're like, you know, swallowing raw eggs and, and doing all that good stuff, punching sides of beef too, right? That's, that's just what we do. We, we love underdog movies. The story of Rudy. You guys know Rudy from Notre Dame, right? That's a beautiful movie. If you haven't seen that, do yourself a favor and watch that movie. But anyways, you got Rudy, who's a walk-on at Notre Dame and got to play one play and one game and all that good stuff. Beautiful story. But we love Underdog because it gives us hope. Because it gives us hope. We see them and we're like, well, they can do it. Then I can do it. I mean, that's just usually how that goes. And the Bible is filled with Underdog-type stories. Even, even some great individuals who end up kind of being great don't always start off that way. You have David. David, as a young man, possibly 16 years old or somewhere around there, takes on Goliath, 
the ultimate, I mean, they even use that as a descriptive term of underdogs, David versus Goliath, right? You, you hear that all the time in sports nowadays. We love the underdogs. And here, here's Rahab, and she's like the ultimate underdog. Because as far as the people in Jericho are concerned, she doesn't matter all that much. And she's certainly not a threat to them. And maybe to most of Israel, she probably doesn't matter all that much, at least at this time. But for two spies and for one leader named Joshua, Rahab's pivotal. She is absolutely pivotal to the whole story, to the success of this military conquest. It's amazing. Praise God for Rahab's. Praise God for the ones that society ignores or overlooks, who think like, we'll never have to worry about them. Praise God for individuals like that. Because that's exactly who God's looking for to use. And here's Rahab, like, I've heard of your God. Um, I've heard of the stories. And oh, yeah, by the way, um, I know he's coming with judgment, and I know he can save me. And not just me, but my whole household. She's got faith. That's why she's in Hebrews chapter 11, is because she has faith. As a Gentile woman, she has faith, tremendous faith. Her little story goes on that... um, she, you know, dried up the Red Sea coming out of Egypt. And what you did with the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan and uh, Sihon and Og, whom you, uh, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. So all these other military conquests. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I've dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Spare us, is what she's saying. Because she's already letting them know, you're going to have victory. You're going to have victory. She has no doubt at all concerning the Israelites. And them coming up against well, possibly the most fortified city for sure in all of Israel. And this ragtag bunch of, you know, sojourners just wandering through the wilderness. I mean, on paper, they don't stand a chance. But Rahab's like, you're going to win. You're going to win. And when you win, please save me and my family. That's faith. That's incredible faith. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's, again, tremendous woman. Tremendous woman. The men said to her in verse 14, our lives for yours, even to death. If you, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, uh, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall and she said to them go into the hills and the pursuers will encounter or go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there 3 days until the pursuers have returned then afterwards you may go your way the men said to her we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear behold when we come into the land you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house your father, mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We can't, we can't be held accountable for them. They have to stay in this house. 
But if you tell this business of ours, they go on to say in verse 20, then we shall be guiltless with our respect to your oath that you have made us to swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she went away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed through the hills, remained there for three days, just like she had told them. The pursuers searched all along the way, found nothing. Two men returned. They came down from the hills, passed over, came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told them all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants, inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So this really cool story with Rahab as she makes this deal with these guys and they tell her like, okay, look, so here's what you need to do. Outside of this window that you're using to rescue us, tie that scarlet thread. And she did it immediately. She did not wait. Okay, that's key to this text. Because there's going to be days that, that go from when they get back to Joshua, they will start making their way to Jericho, but they don't show up the next day. There's days that happen there. But I love that she was like proactive, that as soon as they went down, she tied that red, that scarlet rope outside of her window immediately. She acted upon it, which is just a great thing to do. Don't wait till the last minute. Do not wait till the last minute. Man, if you know that this is what's going to save me, then, then you, you, you do what's necessary. It's the same thing with us and with salvation. And we know that the blood of Christ saves us. So don't put it off. It's, it's just illogical to put it off until the last minute, right? Like, no, tie that scarlet thread around your heart immediately. And that's what she did. And then she has to wait. But what's crazy about this, when you really start processing this story, is that she has to get her family into the house. So her family has to believe her. Mom, dad, sisters, brothers, they have to believe her. So she has to go and communicate to them. Now, this is either her house or this is her dad's house. I don't know. But she's got to get her family into that house. And they have to stay. They have to stay. Because if they leave and the Israelites show up and the walls come falling down, the Israelites are not responsible for their deaths. But there was an arrangement that was made. And so what I envision in my head is that she starts telling all her family about Yahweh about God. And this one who has everybody in, in, a, in, like, in this fear mode, she's letting them know, like, he, he's going to save us. He's going to save us. He's going to rescue us. But we have to stay here. We have to stay here. They had to trust Rahab. And I, I see her story, and it reminds me immediately of John chapter 4 with the woman from Samaria that Jesus hung out with at the well. Because he spent time with her and he talked to her and he, he told her everything about her life. And then she ran away from him into the village and told everybody the Messiah is at the well. I found the Messiah and he's told me everything about me. And the whole village came out to meet Jesus. And they're like, well, we believed her, but now we really believe you because we see you and we're hearing from you. And, and a revival took place. Another underdog, another woman, Samaritan lady, overlooked by society. And God's like, you're perfect. I'll use you. Oh, Rahab from Jericho? Perfect. Got a plan for you. Want to use you. None of us are disqualified in that regard. Oh, oh, oh. 
When you think about the heroes of faith, who pops into your mind? Abraham, surely, and that's probably quickly followed by Isaac and Jacob, just out of habit. Then we have Joseph and Moses and David. In this series, Pastor James Grizzle is telling the stories of the heroes of the faith, and you'll find all the regulars. But then there also is going to be one or two that you might not instantly think of. How often did you think of a prostitute when you were listing your heroes? The writer of Hebrews did. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken in a series that you just won't want to miss. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. For those of you that are in the area, we would love to see your face this Sunday. We meet every Sunday at 10 in the morning and every Thursday at 7 in the evening. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that and a laid-back atmosphere, you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, look around a little. You'll find our location, a bunch of archived messages, and a place to give to the ministry. We'd love to have you partner with us as we magnify the Lord Jesus together. For those of you that can't make it in person, don't worry. We live stream all of our services just for you. So find us on Facebook today. And with that, we've come to the end of our time together today. We're so glad that you decided to spend your day with us. See you next time, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man. I love that and give it